Hi, this is Cynthia from What Career Do I Pick podcast. This is a place for you to hear about the different types of jobs that are out there with the hopes that you gain a little bit of clarity in terms of the type of job or career pathway you want to follow after graduation. Today we'll be talking about a very fascinating topic, forensic. At a high level, there are two main parts of forensic. First, it's what people call investigation. It's all about finding and examining evidence and determining the facts of a case of fraud, criminal activity, misconduct, or put it simply, bad behavior. The other side of forensic is all about prevention. It's about conducting risk assessment to identify loopholes and risk areas in the organization to ensure fraud, criminal activity, misconduct, etc. do not happen. It's a really interesting field of work, and if you're like me, someone who loves crime dramas, forensic may be for you. Our guest is Georgia Bryant. Georgia has over 10 years of experience in the world of forensic, and today she is a, an associate director at one of the largest professional services companies in the world. This was one of the most interesting chats I've had, and honestly, if I had to go back in time and pick another career, I would choose forensic. Without further ado, let's hear from Georgia. Hey, Georgia. Um, how are you going? I'm good. Oh my gosh, it feels like yeah, ages. I think it's because yes. I think it's because it's been ages. <laughs> it has been ages. It yeah. has. And I thought it would be good for us to start by um, like by me asking first a question that has nothing to do with the topic of forensics. If you could have the power of teleportation right now, where would you go and why? Ah, uh-huh. it's a tough one, but I have to say the first thing that comes to mind is the Greek islands, <laughs> mainly because that's where the, that's the first place I'll be going once the COVID stuff is sorted out and we're allowed to travel again. I've been dreaming of sitting on the beach in the Greek islands. So if I could go there, that's where I would be. Is that where your honeymoon was supposed to be? It's where we got engaged. Oh! (laughs) Yeah, we got engaged in Milos. So because our wedding party is tomorrow, I guess that's where my mind is at the moment. Just Uh rethinking that um, happy memories. So, yeah. Hopefully, mm. hopefully in the near future, we can go back there and relive that moment. So like, I guess, so the, the topic of today is the world of forensics. And I have really, uh, a really high level understanding of what it is. And I'm sure mm. that a lot of people, you know, the, the students and young professionals may not know or like 100% what it is, or even I don't think some of, I, I think actually a lot of people haven't heard about it. What would be the, the best way or a good way to explain what forensics is, especially for someone like me who knows very little about the world of forensics? So it's a pretty broad area with a couple of specific uh, areas, like sub areas within it. I guess the overarching thing I'd say is it's almost anything to help the courts or to be involved in something that might end up in court, even if it's not in court already. So I'm a forensic accountant, so I'll kind of stick to the accounting side of things. But it's basically anything to do with misconduct, fraud, corruption, criminal activity, breach of policies within an organisation. So 
there's a few different avenues within forensic. One of those would be investigations, which would maybe be the thing that happens first because you're investigating those types of issues that I've just mentioned. Following that, we might work with law enforcement, like the police, and we might help a client through the court process in a number of different ways. So the next stream would be uh, being an expert witness. So you might quantify the impact of something that's occurred or you might give expert evidence as an accountant for how someone has committed a fraud, how they have manipulated their accounts or anything to do with what's actually occurred. You would give expert evidence and then the quantification of loss And then we also do prevention as well. So fraud and corruption risk assessments for different organisations. And then also there's forensic technology. So they would do the data side of things, for example, imaging computers, imaging phones, which means to take a copy of everything that's on there uh, in a forensic manner. So it might be used by the court later. Wow. If that makes sense. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah, no, but it's so interesting. It, it feels like um, you're you're a detective. <laughs> it's, I guess it's kind of similar. You have the same objective. You're always trying to look for something yeah. or get to the bottom of something um, based on the evidence that you have available. So it's about thinking about a problem, what evidence can be there, uh, how are you going to get it? and then interpreting the evidence and then presenting that information either to the court or to your client. And it's always about potential or actual criminal activity and you're trying to catch or at least identify where and how much the criminal activity happened and how much was stolen, for example. So it's, it's, it's criminal stuff. Um, there's definitely, so there's a couple of elements. The criminal element is if someone's committed a criminal offence, for example, theft, like a, a fraud would be a criminal offence. However, we can also be involved in civil procedures. So if there's a breach of contract between two companies, so that's not necessarily criminal, it's just a different area of the law, which mm-hmm. is civil law. And the third area would be misconduct or breach of policies for an organization so that might be bullying and harassment or you haven't declared a conflict of interest so Mm. conflict of interest wouldn't necessarily constitute criminal activity because all that is is you know you might have hired a company that you have an interest in Mm -hmm. if you then went and paid that company fraudulently then that would be criminal activity Mm. but if it was just that you hired a company gave a company preference for example Mm -hmm. that's just might be a breach of policy so we can investigate those three different elements so it can be criminal non-criminal and non-criminal but at the end of the day is all I guess bad behavior Yes, <laughs> you're catching the bad guys. It. That's the simple <laughs> way of putting it, catching the bad guys. 
Um, oh. Yes, that's it. That's it. And you mentioned that you're forensic accountant. So is that specific to financial records, money being either stolen or misplaced? or hidden, I don't know, or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, um, so I guess it's just forensic is just such a broad area because there could be, you know, forensic pathologists or, or like all kinds of different things are forensic. I guess what I meant to say is in the, I guess, corporate kind of sex, well, we do public and um, private, but in a business sense, I suppose, but within that, we would do bullying and misconduct, even though it's not specifically accounting. But the fact that I'm a chartered accountant means that I can also do the engagements which are involve accounting transactions mm-hmm. or, or data about purchases and things like that. So I've just got that financial element, which mm-hmm. just broadens my horizons because it means I can work on all different Mm -hmm. types of investigations. And uh, how did you come across this type of work or this field of work? I think last time when we chatted, you mentioned that you heard about it early in your career. I guess when, even before you started studying, uh, before you went to uni. Yeah, so I guess I'll start from the start. I, I, um, uh, when I was finishing high school and I was deciding what to do, I was interested in accounting and there was this cadetship program which was starting at uni, uh, starting at a firm while you went to uni. So I was basically an undergraduate uh, straight out of high school looking for a firm to join. So I was just doing research to find all the different firms that there are and the types of services that they have. And when I was doing that, I came across Forensic didn't know much about it, but I thought it sounded interesting. And then I mentioned that in the interview, I ended up getting a job in that team. And that's when I fully understood what it was and decided that I really enjoyed it. And I've been in it ever since. So I think it's been about 10 years now, mm. all up. And what did you do in uni? Bis- to- Bachelor of Business, okay. account- majoring in accounting. Okay. So, so where I worked... Um, was in an accounting firm so Mm -hmm. they did mainly insolvency work as well as forensic work Mm -hmm. but we were all chartered accountants as such. So what about forensics that attracted you? I think when I first found out about it it was really just that it had I knew I didn't want to do tax returns and I knew I didn't (laughs) want to do audit. And then I thought, oh, I can use my accounting skills to solve these specific problems. It probably wasn't that much of an active decision, but once I started working in it, I was attracted to the problem solving and the fact that you're exposed to a diverse range of clients. So I, I enjoyed, I think I enjoyed looking through the information, interpreting it and trying to come to a conclusion based on the evidence that I've got. So I think that's just part of my personality of being interested in the detail and putting that all together. And I guess the other element that I like is trying to convert complex information into a simple explanation for people. So 
because you're dealing with quite complicated matters sometimes, you then have to write a report which is really straightforward so mm-hmm. that a judge or a client or many different people can interpret that information. Mm. So it's the process, but then it's also just, I think, my moral compass. Like yeah. I've always just liked the idea of finding out the truth and, you know, standing up for people or mm. or trying to figure out what's right, I guess. Yeah. I would imagine, yeah, sort of exactly that in the sense that I think people that are in this line of work are... Um, they have a really strong sense of justice and you know, I guess this is a I good indicator. Other, <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I think the other thing I liked about it is that I did enjoy my law subjects at uni, but I never wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So in this way, I was getting to do the fun stuff because we work with lawyers a lot and we still have to read contracts or policies or we still have to think about that legal element but I didn't have to become a lawyer. So I feel like I was getting to do the fun side of law. So that's that's another thing that I that attracted me to it as well. Yeah, one thing I was going to sort of ask is, because it sounds like forensic brings a lot of different disciplines into one place. So you mentioned law, but um, there's also, you know, accounting, there's technology. So I guess maybe another question that I had was, that, which ties back to my question around what did you do in uni is what type of, do you need to have a specific degree in order to be able to do forensics? Um, they've now introduced a lot more courses around it. When I started out, there was no specific course that you can do, but I think now you can do graduate courses or you can actually pick forensic accounting units as part mm-hmm. of your business degree. For me, in my career, I needed to do accounting because I was working at these chartered accounts and I've always worked at chartered accounting firms throughout my career. So that was a requirement. And then depending on the area of which forensic you're in, like if you're in technology, that's quite specific. You would have to go and do, you know, courses in imaging computers because that's a practice, a, a skill that you need. But other than that, I'm now in the investigation space. So some people have, you know, their certificate in government investigations or or their licensed investigators, but it's not like there's a specific university course that Mm -hmm. you need to do. It it means it's not too late for me to start doing (laughs) forensics. And I actually think that business knowledge from like working in other businesses or at least having some life experience adds to your perspective even because well early on in my career working in disputes we were often quantifying business losses so you had to think uh, if this company another company breached the contract so what was the financial impact of that Mm. what was the loss to Mm -hmm. the the person the other party to the contract there's a lot of thinking that goes into that because it's like what kind of business did they have? Was there other situational factors that could have caused that loss? You know, just all kinds of things. And you could be anything from a milk farmer to a beer brewer to like Mm -hmm. a financial institution. So it just uh, like there's such a diverse range of problems to think about that that extra 
industry knowledge would be really helpful as well so I guess there's there wouldn't be anything that would stop anyone let's say if a student has done a bachelor of science could they sort of give it a try like and maybe and sort of and do forensics or is that a bit too far it might from... be a bit too remote like I guess you can do anything if you really want to it will just take you a bit longer that's all uh, if you did want to be a chartered accountant that's a whole different story because that's a bit of a longer process where you have to have done accounting and then do your chartered accounting but if you are just wanting to become an investigator I guess Mm -hmm. it's more about getting the experience and maybe doing your certificate in uh, government investigations or becoming getting your investigator's license but it would be quite hard to crack into it I think because there's a lot of law enforcement that go into investigations then you've got your accountants in professional service firms that go into it so it might not be as easy further Mm -hmm. down the track. It, it, it yeah. makes sense yeah so it would make a lot more sense or I guess it would be a little bit easier for people that have done maybe law or have been in government or some sort of enforcement role mm. to move across the forensics than someone who has been let's say a scientist for the past yeah. um, let's say five ten years audit as well a lot of people who are in audit are, can make really good forensic accountants because they have the strong understanding of financial statements and how you know if someone's trying to hide something in one account it might Mm -hmm. show up weird in a different account so auditors have a much better sense of that because they're so used to it so they might be able to make a good transition into forensic once Mm -hmm. they've had a few years of audit experience I would say that this sounds like there's a basic level um, like a foundational understanding or level of technical skills and knowledge that's required in order to be able to do forensics and this is where you know law and audit and maybe enforcement comes into the picture yeah exactly and it depends again which which area of forensic you're Mm -hmm. in so at the moment in investigations the skills are about you know searching searching online to find links between people Mm. or you know but they'll like there's often a financial element to it so that's where the accounting side comes in of tracing money through bank statements trying to match those to financial statements Mm. looking through general ledgers which Mm -hmm. is just a record of all the the transactions so Mm -hmm. trying to trying to see where money's flowing to and from Uh, So that's where the accounting side of it comes in. But then there's also the interview side, which we haven't talked about yet. So we would also do interviews of witnesses and suspects. So it's uh, like you kind of, the way that it goes, that it happens is you try and find all the evidence, look through the documents, get an understanding of what's happened. And then you'll speak to people who, can give you more information about that and then lastly you would speak to the accused person potentially so the other side of it is your interview skills which can be quite technical as well yeah it must be so hard to talk to the accused ones because I'm pretty sure they don't want to share anything with you guys uh yeah it depends it depends um I guess it depends on the investigation that you're doing I mean, you don't sit down and say, 
I know that you've committed this crime. <laughs> that's, that's probably not going to get you your best result. <laughs> you try to keep it very factual, very objective and friendly, I guess, as though you're having a chat with them is probably the best approach to, to get the information that you need. So, mm. And in that way, you're exposed to so many different people as well yeah. from all walks of life. So yeah. it can be... The best part of it is how diverse it is. Like just it's so good how many different organisations and people you get exposed to in this area. Very different problems to solve. And like on one hand, I guess this type of job would suit for people to have a strong sense of justice, who wants to do good things. But then the other hand, what I think of is someone that's a little bit dodgy might be really good at this type of job. Because you need to know how criminal, no, maybe not criminals, but I guess suspects and accused people um, sort of think and how how and where they will hide stuff. You almost need to go into their yeah. criminal mind. That's true. I think they would be good at it. It's kind of like your hackers who become ethical hackers and then help organisations to put in controls to prevent that hacking from a caring I guess if you've got any kind of deceitful action on your record though you might have trouble (laughs) getting a job in the team so but they're good for you know I'm always interested in hearing their stories and reading their books or that kind of thing just Mm -hmm. getting an idea of how their brain ticks over and the more investigations you do the more people you meet and you just start building up that I guess that knowledge of how people do things, why they do things. Mm. And even when we're doing our fraud risk assessments, the whole purpose of it is to get in the brain of a fraudster and think mm-hmm. where are the loopholes, like where are mm-hmm. the opportunities in this organisation and and whether they're available or not and then pointing that out to the organisation that here's your high-risk areas mm-hmm. of if someone was going to commit fraud, this is the way that they do it. Yeah, it is about thinking like a fraudster as well. So when you, you point out, hey, you've got a loophole here, there's a risk area here, then the next logical step for the client is to do something about it. So putting some controls in place and making sure that fraud doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that we've started doing, which, well, we've been doing it for some time, but it's recently, there's a standard called the Fraud and Corruption Control Standard, and it's best practice guidance about how an organisation should prevent fraud and corruption. Mm. And one of the things that we do is pressure testing, and that's where you would try to commit fraud or or test controls by simulating an event. So we might try and create a false invoice and see whether the accounts team will actually process it. So, cause people think that they, they have controls in place. You'll do your fraud risk assessment and they'll say, yep, that couldn't happen because we've got two people authorizing the invoice or X, Y, Z, but Um, it's interesting to see whether when you actually try to submit that invoice, whether they process it or not. What's the um, success rate or I guess how how often do they actually catch this fake invoice? 
In most of the instances where I've done it, they have not processed the invoice, so okay. their controls are successfully working. But some of the things that we do find is they're not perfect. For example, a fraudster is going to fish for information before they actually commit an attack because they're trying mm. to find out who's the who's the relevant person or what are the contact details associated with their target. So what we did find was even though an invoice wasn't being processed, when we made a phone call to pretend to be the organisation and we said, can you change our bank account details? And the person on the end of the phone said that they could, but we would have to send them a letter. Now, that's the correct process. But we said, oh, who's the authorised person on the account? And she said, the girl on the phone said who that was. So mm. she's now given us a piece of information that we can tailor our fake email to say that it's coming from that authorised person. So huh. it's not necessarily that they, you know, their controls were working because they didn't change the bank account, but the learning for them was you've got to be aware of what information you're giving out over the phone mm-hmm. because someone might be using that to create a tailored attempt Mm. so it's interesting yeah that's a fun that's a fun part of it as well it's always a bit nerve-wracking and exciting to see what's going to happen once you've sent it out so yeah it would be good to deep dive a little bit more in terms of you know what the day-to-day looks like and what you guys actually do as forensic accountants or forensic officer (laughs) What what is the right name? So forensic investigators, I guess forensic practitioners, Practitioner. or investigators. Um, I mean, at the moment, I'm working on quite a few different clients. So I am doing a fraud risk assessment, which my day would involve workshops with various people from the client to try and brainstorm what the risks are and how they would prevent them. Mm-hmm. And then after that. I would put that all together and try and come up with some recommendations about the controls they Mm -hmm. might implement. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ones I'm working on. I'm also working on another pressure testing one, which I just mentioned, where I'm creating those false invoices. And the third one, I work on quite a few at once because there's often, you know, you need information. So it might take three days for that information to come in. So I'm often juggling 10 different, not 10, maybe less than 10, but many investigations all at once. I'm also doing one, which is a, they've changed the, they did change the bank account. So one of the most common frauds is that someone will ask for their bank account details to be changed so that they pay the invoice into the fraudster's bank account instead of the correct organisation's bank account. So it's like a legitimate invoice. It's a legitimate supplier. So so this organisation has changed the bank account details based on an email that they received mm-hmm. and then they've then made the payment to the false bank account. So basically they've now lost $357,000 So they've lost that money now. But what we had to do was come in and speak to everyone involved in that transaction because you want to make sure was someone internal, did they ignore the process of confirming the bank account? Like why did the bank account details get changed? 
Was anyone internal involved? Uh, what processes did they have that should have been followed that were not followed? So trying to establish the exact facts of what's mm-hmm. occurred. What else do I have? There's a one, it's, I've just finished it off, which is a, it started off as a bullying and harassment case. So there was a guy saying that he'd been pushed out of a particular area in the business and pushed to work with someone else. Mm. And he was saying that had occurred because he was a whistleblower. So Mm. he had tried to report uh, suspicions about something and then he'd been transferred to a different area of the business. Now, we weren't able to uh, substantiate that allegation. I don't think that's the reason he got pushed from one business to another. But in doing so, he gave us a bit more information that once we looked into it, we found that the the guy that was supposedly the bully had interests in companies that were being paid money by the organisation. So it was kind of a, it was a conflict of interest type issue. So he had hired suppliers for the company who he then had a personal mm interest in and so the way we found that it was almost by chance I suppose not by chance by skill yes but we we do searches you can do like a search of all the companies that someone has a directorship in Mm. so as part of the investigation we did a a search on his company holdings Mm. and we did a search on everyone else's company holdings and we created this big chart with little circles everywhere and lines of wow. who who knows who. Um, and by that way, we found that he had actually entered into a business with one of the suppliers of the organisation. Not only that, he had engaged this supplier on multiple occasions to the detriment of other suppliers. So... Mm. Normally, they have a way where we would normally pick this per- this supplier for this particular service or goods or services. He then said, no, that company is not good enough. Let's go with company B instead. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that he actually knew and had a business with company B. Mm-hmm. So he's ignored the, the company that they were supposed to use and he's gone in and put a company given a company preferential treatment mm-hmm. because of his relationship to that company. Yeah. So, so he had a personal interest be. in the yep. supplier. Yep. So the, the bully was pushing the other guy to another division or team because he wanted to, was it because the, the, this other person that was being pushed out um, could have it, found out or... It started a bit differently. Basically, the whistleblower, the thing he was whistle whistleblowing about was totally different. So it was, it, it almost, the first part of the investigation was totally redundant. But it just shows how once you start, once you look under the rock, there's so many worms that come mm. out. So... So it it turned out he wasn't bullied and the thing he was whistleblowing about wasn't really relevant. But once we started looking into the subject, and that's the thing, like bad guys often manifest as bullies because for whatever reason, they just, they, they're defensive um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, so his behaviour just seems 
unpleasant. Gotcha. Um, but once yeah. we started looking into him, there was actually issues and he ended up leaving the organisation. They got rid of him in the end. Yeah. It's so so interesting how, because you mentioned that the, um, like in this example, the guy who committed fraud, um, he, he had a vested interest in this other company, mm-hmm. but it's public inform like it's public information that he is a director of this other the other company who he's favoring so mm. it's it's like if you're gonna for me it's like if you're gonna commit a crime do it right <laughs> well just the like, thing is he he did it his um so his current directorships didn't show the relationship it was looking at the directorships from five years ago so it was it was a historical relationship that he had so he didn't have it anymore at the time of Mm. doing the investigation but he was still working at the organization at that point in time and especially with government funded organizations um, or if they're doing anything in the public interest there's strong rules about making sure that you Mm -hmm. don't have a conflict of interest when you're selecting a supplier. So even though it was historical, he had the relationship at Mm -hmm. the point in time, even though it was a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. And, And with him, the more we started looking into it, the more relationships we found with other suppliers as well. So it was almost just a situation of he was hiring his mates and whether he was getting... He might not have committed fraud or there may not have been bribery or corruption there, but who knows whether the organisation's paying three times more for the service Mm -hmm. than they could have paid if they went with their original supplier. Mm -hmm. And it's not, that's why these organisations have these policies that Mm -hmm. you have to declare Mm -hmm. your, your personal interest. And he hadn't declared any personal interests, so... So yeah. I guess so in that in the, in this case um you guys found out about what happened and then you reported back to the client um yeah. and then the, it's up to the client in terms of whether the client might persecute or try to recover Yeah exactly and in this particular occasion we worked with the client's lawyers mm-hmm. so so the lawyer was advising the client in terms of you know, whether there was grounds for getting rid of this guy or whether it wasn't bad conduct. So the, the lawyer was providing that opinion, but our mm-hmm. job is to provide the facts. So we yeah. don't really, we've got to stick to the facts always. Yeah. yeah. And then the action's up to the company and their solicitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's up to them to make a decision in terms of next steps. Yeah, exactly. So, so- interesting. Oh my God. I feel like I'm, um, you're, like this one of my favorite types of tv shows is like crime drama i love it so much so it's it's weird how many people have a fascination with i think it's just human behavior it's it's just very fascinating to me and then when it goes wrong it's like why does it go wrong you know so that was my other question it's like what's the number one reason why people do these things like misconduct fraud deception um well with fraud we talk about the fraud triangle so the fraud triangle suggests that there has to be opportunity there has to be the ability to rationalize what you are doing so in terms of opportunity if you know another one we did there was just 
a bunch of customer refunds sitting there that no one was looking at and this employee knew that there's all these refunds sitting here that no one's claimed. So he just started pretending to be a, a customer and claiming those refunds. So so that's where the, uh, there's opportunity there is probably the biggest reason because if there wasn't the opportunity to take advantage of a loophole, they wouldn't be doing it. But in his case, he had a gambling problem. And that's something that we see very, very, very frequently. In fact, of of the most common reasons, I guess, for me, it's probably been gambling. It drives people to do things that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect. And they're often very, very normal people. Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't look at them and go, I think that person's a fraudster. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just, you know, your mm-hmm. colleague. So it can be it can be distressing as well. I think there is an element of, you know, things that are confronting in this job as well. Mm-hmm. And you never quite know when that's going to like you could be in the course of an interview mm-hmm. and someone admits something mm-hmm. like their gambling problem. So that can be quite confronting as well. Uh, so you mentioned there were, there were, uh, there's a thri- uh, fraud triangle. Uh, it's opportunity, rationalization. Uh, What's the other one? Yep. Uh, so the other one is about the uh, pressure. If you have financial pressure, for mm-hmm. example, like I guess that's where the gambling problem mm-hmm. comes in. You feel almost this internal pressure of the mm-hmm. addiction mm-hmm. Uh, or you might have gone into financial distress. Maybe you're going through divorce and you have a financial commitment. Mm-hmm. So, so. Yeah, we talked about opportunity, then the pressure, so those personal circumstances or other circumstances that might pressure you to do it. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is rationalisation. So that's telling yourself that it's okay. Mm -hmm. So with this guy that was taking the customer refunds, it happened over a two-year period. He he took more than a million dollars. Yeah, so that, that was a big, that was a really big one. And I guess the thing is, it starts off small. So he would have done one refund. It went through and no one noticed it. He would have then pretended to be another customer, got another refund. And and once that starts happening, you just, like you got away with it. You think, oh, it's okay. I got away with it. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes your normal behavior mm-hmm. after a certain period of time wow. I don't know if he even realized how much money because it was wow. just a thousand dollars a thousand dollars like he I don't think that he would have even realized how much money he'd taken over that time but two um, years two years pretty long <laughs> well yeah you must be skilled <laughs> until it got discovered <laughs> but that's when your fraud risk assessment comes into play so you can try and identify those areas of the business where there's the opportunity for someone to take advantage of it and there's other rationalizations like I don't get paid enough or I didn't get a promotion you know or I deserve this I deserve it or it's a like often insurance companies and banks no one really cares about you know, ripping off an insurance company or a bank because people already feel that they've been ripped off by those types of institutions. So they might feel less bad about committing fraud against an insurance company than, you know, they wouldn't go up to someone in a shop and take money out of the till Mm -hmm. because that's an obvious 
it's obvious that you're doing something wrong in that scenario. Mm. But if they're telling themselves, oh, well, I've been, you know, I've never been treated well by the insurance company or they're a big organisation, they've got mm-hmm. so much money, yeah. does it really matter if I take a little bit? Yeah, so. like only it's only a thousand, they earn millions, so it's nothing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you uh, think about if every person said that to themselves and every person took a thousand dollars, then, you know, why are you any more entitled to take a thousand dollars than anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's it's really yeah it's really fascinating. The other question that I had was on and we we touched on it sort of skill sets and attributes mm-hmm. and I guess what it what does it take to be a good forensics practitioner? What are the key skills, attributes, characteristics that we would expect of someone to like in this field to have? Yeah, so I think attention to detail is probably the the big one so whatever scenario you have and whichever area of forensic you go into you need to be interested in the detail because you could very easily miss you know the smoking gun if you're not paying attention to detail I'd say the second one is like a drive to get to the bottom of something and that kind of wanting to solve a problem would be the second One, because sometimes you do have to do boring things. I mean, we have to do an email review. You might have to review 10,000 emails. So you've got to to have that desire to want to get to the bottom of something to actually get through those, those more mundane tasks. But it's so exciting to actually find the email that you're looking for so so I guess that's where the fun comes in as well there there is some there is some tedious tasks but if you've got that understanding of solving the problem and getting to the bottom of it those tasks become fun so and then there's quite a lot of different specific skill sets like if you're really good at data you could be an awesome forensic person as well because maybe your specialization is to trace the money through the different accounts Mm. and when you've got a lot of data we need analytics type people to do that that work so you could be in forensic analytics for example which would be all about your data skills and then you've got your investigation uh, interviewing skills so that would be more about people skills and approachability building report as well Exactly. So, so I guess the, the two big overarching ones would be your attention to detail and your drive to get to the bottom of something. And then following that, there's a whole variety of technical skills which can be handy and you don't necessarily have to have all of them. Like we've got particular people in our team who are really good at data, other ones that are good at interview plans, other ones that are awesome at reviewing all the documents and picking up on the details so so there's just a there's a big variety of people in our team and but they've all got attention to detail and they've all got that drive to get to the bottom of something as well it's always I I I actually don't know I think like you say like I don't know why it's so interesting and fascinating but it, it, it is and it might be 
like like you said it might be because it's related to you know like how people behave and mm. uh, it's a bit like of psychology as well but i think that one of the key interesting things for me is like how can people sometimes like I, sometimes it's hard to believe like how can people like like that person that you mentioned stealing almost a million dollars over two years it's like how can people do that it's like what's going on in your mind for you to do yeah. <laughs> i don't understand yeah it's just like wow it is really really fascinating like that i don't know whether i didn't mention that i'm also studying psychology because i do have that uh interest for understanding humans and and why they are the way that they are so you know it's it's awesome that i've been able to combine accounting that kind of legal aspect, but also my interest in human behavior as well. So yeah, it is, it is just fascinating. I guess no one starts out with the thought that they're going to commit a huge fraud. It just ends up happening that Mm -hmm. way. And once they get away with it, it, it really escalates. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he didn't set out thinking I'm going to steal a million dollars. He thought, Oh, I wonder if I just took, one of these customer refunds, whether it would get picked up. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I still don't know exactly. It's not something I could ever do. Well, okay. So cautious of time. So I, I've only, I've got like just one uh, last question to close the episode. Mm-hmm. Can you hear from you, you know, um, if you have any advice for students, graduates, young professionals who are starting out their careers? Um, um, yeah. What sort of advice would you give them if, you know, um, you know, to help them you know, kickstart and grow their career? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is to keep an open mind and make the most of every opportunity that comes up because sometimes you don't even know that it's an opportunity. There's things that I did early in my career that I only realised five years later how valuable that was. Like even if you're just photocopying documents, which that's what I did when I was first out of high school, it's what, what understanding what are those documents, just absorbing as much as you can from every task that you're doing because, you know, every day is an opportunity to learn as much as you can and that's always going to help you down the track, even if you don't even know how it's going to help you yet. Just be alert to opportunities and the people that you meet as well are almost an opportunity in themselves. Perfect. I really enjoyed having a chat with you and anytime yeah it's it's great thank you so much thank you and enjoy your wedding have a lot of fun Um, thank you so much and thanks for thinking of me for this as well no i think you're the perfect guest to talk about forensics yes (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) all right all right thank you and um yes we'll be in touch cool see ya So that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have feedback, suggestions, or even ideas in terms of the type of role or discipline that you'd like to know more about, feel free to add me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I'm always keen to hear what our listeners have to say. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and or the YouTube channel for new episodes. Thanks for tuning in and until next time. Bye.